Okay, so Fiona's going to announce the poster of the month for February, which I believe was a big month on the fan page. Fiona can tell us more about that. It was, yeah, huge. Really, really busy, obviously, with the tour and everything. Uh, but this month, I'd like the poster of the month to go to Kelly Costello. She's a really big poster anyway, but she did a post for everyone to post their end of tour pictures. And then she did an end of tour video. Everybody really loved that one, so I'd like it to be her this month. Oh, that's cool. i got to check that out, actually. I've uh, Yeah, it's really cool. I've been slacking on my Facebook-ing, but it's, uh, our numbers are, are way... we got a bunch of new fans over the course of the tour. Yeah, loads. Uh, 459 in the, the two weeks. Wow, that that's is it. crazy. So we're going to be working on 5,000 before we know it. Yeah, yeah, I think we're... Uh, I think we've got about five more to go until we're at 4.3. Goodness gracious. That's amazing. Well, thank you for all you do, Fiona. Um, sorry that we didn't get to do this live during the tour. We'll talk about that That'll as well. Go. And, um, you know, we, as always, we certainly appreciate all you do. And um, so once again, our winner is... Kelly Costello. Kelly Costello. So congratulations. I think I pronounced it right. We will be sending her a nice little gift from Bowling for Soup. And uh, to thank her for all that she is doing to help help the fan page and help us uh, remain remain relevant as a band. <laughs> all right, Fiona, take care. Brilliant. Cheers. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Welcome to the uh, very special Get Happy Tour edition of the BFS Fan Page Rampage. My name is Daniel Cotton from Twitter, and I'm joined by Jarrett Reddick from Bowling for Soup. Hello Jarrett, there. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We're doing this a little bit late. Let's just be honest. Um, That's right. We were supposed to do this on the tour, on the Get Happy Tour. And uh, I think you're starting to realize, though, that, like, it's hard to get anything done on tour, right? I mean, it just Oh, is. yeah. It, and and it's, it's so funny because you bring people along as guests or whatever, and they're always just like, you know, I just don't understand. Like, we just lose contact. We don't hear from you, and you don't check your email, and, you know, yada, yada. And they're on for, like, two days, and they're like, totally get it. Yep, totally get it. <laughs> it's not that you don't have time to do things. It's just hard to get motivated to do them because of the other stuff that's happening. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like weird, like where it would be wacky to pull your computer out because everyone's sort of sitting on top of one another. And I don't know. It's hard to get anything done. We did try it one day uh, in Cardiff, I believe. Yeah, we, we were, we were going to make it happen. It was happening. And then uh, the food order got fucked up like three times. And Daniel, uh, then by the time it was ready, time here he's like, "Okay, we can do it now." I was, I was off doing something else. You know, yeah, that's how it goes. So I, so we were gonna record this yesterday. I gotta tell you guys what's going on. If you hear something that if I sound a little fucked up in my voice, like my s's are a little bit weird or something. So I got this fucking ulcer on my tongue. I've never had one before, but it's like. It's super common, I guess. I looked it all up. So it's, 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 I was, first I was like, oh, it's got to be, God damn it, I got herpes somehow or some shit. Or like, it's cancer, you know? Like, somebody gave me cancer herpes. And uh, so I, but I looked it up. No, it's a canker sore that uh, go, that, and, and normally, I guess usually they're on your lip. And I've had that before, but this is on my tongue. So yesterday I literally couldn't talk. Um, 
So today, I might sound a little bit funny every once in a while, but it's uh, I'm doing the best I can. I got this little uh, this medicine you put on there. It numbs it down. And uh, so I'm doing my fucking best, Daniel. I'm fucking... I didn't want to put this off any longer because this is supposed to come out in February, and now it's already March, and uh, people are <laughs> going to blame you. I don't want people to be mad at you. you That's know? right. I... I just thought you were doing your best Samuel Jackson and Kingsman impression. <laughs> that's what, oh that's what I thought that was. Holy shit! By the way, if you haven't heard that podcast, we did a uh, we did a po- the Jarrett goes to the movies podcast was on the Kingsman this this week, and uh, I completely dissect his his fake lisp and uh, pretty much tear it apart. It drives me fucking crazy, but uh, I digress. Let's fan page rampage. Okay. Do you want to just talk about? The, any latest news with Bone Soup? I know there's been some pretty huge announcements over the last few days. We've had a big couple of days, so we knew that it was happening, but it's kind of just now come to light that we are headed to South Africa in late March, uh, later this month. Um, you know, it's one of those things where we there are uncharted waters for us out there, but until it's the right promoter, um, until it makes sense financially for us to go, I mean, it's 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 three shows, but we're gone seven days, you know? So that's a long time, and, and especially when you've been together 25 years and you've kind of seen the world, it's like we're sort of over touristy shit, you know? So we don't really ever take a tour that's in some country that we haven't been to just for the sake of being able to go there. Um, and, you know, nobody. it's not really any one person. I think it's just all of us. Are just, I think Chris would, he doesn't give a shit. He would go anywhere and love it, but... I think the rest of us, just with the rest of our lives going on, it's just like, you know, is this really good? You know, we went to Russia and played a couple of shows, and it's cool to say we we were in Russia, but, you know, there were like 250 people there, and we couldn't sell merch because the mob sold merch for us and shit, and it's like this whole thing. So, you know, I don't know, but I'm actually really excited about it. Um, The reaction has been interesting on different socials. I'm actually getting messages on, like, LinkedIn and shit, you know, from because not every country does the whole Facebook thing um yeah so but apparently we did really really well over there on the radio and so you know we're headlining these festivals so i'm hoping we go over there and and maybe we found a market that uh that we could go visit again sometime but anywho so south africa is going to be really cool not really sure what to expect but we've been promised by literally every person that's ever been there and these promoters that it's going to be awesome so um that's going on we did announce that we're doing Two weeks of Warp Tour in July. We're going to start in Texas and go through the Chicago date. We are skipping Toronto. Um, those of you in Canada, um, it's not that we don't like you. It's just a fucking really hard country to get into. And um, we have a couple of guys on our team who have had run-ins with the law in the past. And so they have to like pay a fee just to go into the country. Um, whether they were convicted or not, if, if they were charged for it, and it was like deferred or whatever. So anywho, I'm not going to give any more insight into, into people's legal shit, but I will tell you that, uh, it's fucking expensive to go to Canada <laughs> if you got a bunch of fucking outlaws on the bus, you know? So, um, we're skipping Toronto and, uh, which sucks cause it would have been fun to go to Toronto with simple plan. I've always wanted to see them in Canada, uh, and also obviously some 41, but I have seen them in Canada. I thought that would have been fun. Maybe I did see them, though. We went the year that, uh, yeah, I guess I did see them in Canada, the year that people tried to steal our shit in Winnipeg. and um, Yeah, because people, man, they, they fucking, they'll just steal your shit in Winnipeg. They don't give a fuck. 
Like the box of merch is just sitting right there. We're standing there. People are trying to lift shit out of it. So uh, skipping Canada, going through Chicago and coming back. And then um, we, uh, we've got a great, a really cool tour happening. Just a quick little seven days here in Texas and then going up to Oklahoma City. It's been a long time since we played OKC. So um, that's going to happen actually in April. And a uh, band that I manage called Not Your Girlfriends. New single is out now called Never Stop. They're going to join us on that. It's their first ever tour. So they're 13 and 11. 13, 13, and 11. And they're going on a fucking rock and roll tour with Bowling for Soup. Going to be blessed. That's so. awesome. awesome. Yeah. So um, that's kind of what's going on right now. I mean, after that, it's kind of back to the the drawing board, so to speak. We're, st- we're starting to try to plan for the fall and what, it, what exactly we're going to do. I mean, as far as touring is concerned... By the time we're done with Warped, it will have already been a lot of time on the road for us as far as, you know, where we're at these days and age and stuff. But uh, we'll see. And then probably talk about getting back in the studio after that. So, um, you know, those are the conversations that we're having, you know, when we're not talking about, uh, you know, farts and um, hard candy versus chocolate. You know, that's pretty much... uh, what we what we deal with cool and i think dates are a little bit messed up with these podcasts now but also the video for catalyst came out so if you haven't seen that you can search that on youtube yeah it was super fun to make i got to direct that me and um longtime video guy for bowling for soup jason crocker have a new venture called band in texas it's supposed to be a play on words like because we're a band in texas and you're banned in texas and um we're not a band though so anywho uh, but we do music videos, and we did um, a couple of new ones out, actually. Catalyst is out, which we did, and then we did the new Not Your Girlfriends video for Never Stop as well. So excited about that and those. It was a fun time making that video. We got to literally kill a car uh, on Catalyst, and then Not Your Girlfriends we actually filmed on a real school bus. So um, cool. A couple of videos that are that are really sm- that are really cool that are out there just chilling, so go check those out. And also when this comes out... It will be on, or it'll be really close to my birthday. Let's not talk. Let's not forget that. My birthday True. is on the sixth. I doubt I'll have this podcast out today, which is the second. So let's say we get it out by like Sunday or Monday. It is time to tweet me, "Happy birthday," and uh, send me lots of gifts. You don't really have to do that. Don't, don't. So, because this is a tour special, I'm not going to do a This Day in Bone of Soup history, but I just thought it'd be cool to talk a little bit about the last UK tour, the How About Another Round tour. Do you have a, a best memory of that tour or any cool stories, or does everything kind of blur together in your mind nowadays? It does kind of all blur together in my mind nowadays, but at the same time, you know, you have different support bands most of the time. Um, and so, you know, you, you have different nights and and lots of lots of fun but uh yeah i mean if we're going back to uh how about another round which was what two years ago almost two years ago almost to the day right like uh it's february last two years ago yeah yeah um you know that was a great tour i mean i uh i will say that i i remember we went in for a press day i'll just tell you the difference between the two tours we went in for a, a press day and our publicist thought it would be a really cool idea to rent out a bar, right? To uh, So we rented the Crowbar in London, and uh, we did our press there all day. Well, it, in theory, is a great idea, but 
we got off an airplane, having been on the airplane for 10 hours and hadn't slept and had drank a bunch before we got on the plane. So we get to the bar and we had hired a bartender and everything. The last thing we wanted was to drink. And we really wanted a place to lay down. So the crowbar had no place to lay down, but did have stuff to drink. So it was a, it was a lose-lose. So this year, during our press day, uh, I rented a hotel conference room and a hotel room. I'm a fucking genius. It was glorious. Happy crew guys. Got to shower. Happy band guys. Got to shower, lay down for a little bit, watch some BBC television. It was a, uh, a glorious press day. So that, you just live and learn, you know? You just learn by going with what you learn on the road. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I was going to try to go with that. And then I started thinking about my fucking mouth because it hurts like shit. And uh, then I, I started paying attention to how I was talking. And then that fucking got sidetracked. Anywho. Um, no, I do remember that tour being awesome. And I, I guess the most memorable thing about the tour was just people, the way that everything was worded to me and you know every question I got asked is like why did you lie to the United Kingdom public and tell them that you were never coming back here again and I was you know you just there's only a certain amount of times you can answer that question before you're where you start to be an asshole you know and I I did really really good holding off on it but uh, I think by the time I got to the end of that tour it was just like well because you deserve to be lied to like the rest of the world fuck everybody you know but uh no, I kid, I kid. But, you know, so it was kind of just like getting around that, you know, explaining to everyone that, you know, why we took a break and why we did it the way that we did it and, and all of that. And uh, I, I feel like we've sort of outlived all that. I didn't really hear a bunch of that this tour. It seems like everybody's stoked that we're just back and coming uh, uh, less, less often, but uh, in a bigger capacity. No fat joke intended. Uh, yeah, that's cool. I just want to quickly talk about my favourite moment of the How About Another Round tour. I I went to the show at the Roundhouse in London and a crowd surfer got dropped on my head and I <laughs> it hit my face on the barrier at the front and cracked my nose open yeah. and blood was pouring out of my face and none of security had noticed and I just stood there with blood pouring out of my face. And the, the next day, Gary said, Oh yeah, I looked up and saw you, and you had blood all over your face. I wondered what that was about. <laughs> you just standing there bleeding. No, I remember because mm-hmm. that wasn't it. Like uh, we were in Cardiff the next day, right? And you just walked into the VIP just in sunglasses and a bandage on your nose, and you looked like you had just <laughs> yeah. gotten out of a fucking fist fight. And uh, we yeah. were like, "What the fuck happened to you?" And uh, now, but that was a good night too at the Roundhouse because that's the night that we did the we had the burping contest between Kelly Dolly Rot. And uh, Jenny from the Lounge Kittens, and then a dude, yeah. and uh, Kelly just swept the fucking floor with everybody. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Uh, next thing to talk about is what you've, what have you been listening to at the moment? So primarily, what we listen to right before the tour or right after. I know that you don't listen to a lot of music mm. during the tour. Yeah, I don't. Uh, but I, man, you guys got to, um, you got to hear. I know you get sick of me talking about Frank Turner. But you've got to hear the new Frank Turner song called Be More Kind. Holy shit. I got to hear it live. Um, he came out in, at his Dallas show. The band took a break, and he came out and played a few songs acoustic. And he did that song, and I was just like, holy shit. But like the, the recorded version will just absolutely 
give you give you goosebumps. It's fucking great. And then I've I've been flashing back a little bit, man. I've uh, you know I've I've been listening again to this band called Artist versus Poet that I really got into, and and it's interesting because they're from here, from like the Dallas, Texas area, and um, you know they were little kids. They were you know nineteen and twenty when they were doing stuff, and and you know they were they were covering one of our songs while they're out touring. I had no idea, and they had no idea that I was back home like listening to their records so um yeah art, check out artist versus poet if you can and uh, that Nate, not, that new frank turner song and uh, that's pretty much it for me musically that's kind of what i've been doing um you know the uh the kids obviously are the djs in the car so i i do have to listen to a bunch of shit i don't want to listen to a lot uh, every once in a while i like it though but uh you know it's been it's been pretty fucking bad lately <laughs> <laughs> that's kids though right that's kids for you uh, bowling soup on tv the segment this time let's talk about the how about another round uh promotional video because that was like a, a huge deal I, I was i was at download festival the first time that aired yeah and people were losing their shit about it and I think so on the on the like the Friday the first time it played at the main stage people were going crazy and by the Sunday I kept hearing people saying I'm so fucking sick of seeing this advert because they, <laughs> they, they, they only they only have like four videos on the screens at right. download so it was just all weekend all the time the yeah. same like five minute shot what was where did the idea come from for how about another round and the whole how about another round video clip? Well, that's what happens when you're with at the time the promote our promoter was the president of Live Nation, so and promoting that that <laughs> festival. That's what happens. Um, you know, we had done the farewell tour, and um, you know, we were as you know, we were adamant farewell wasn't goodbye. Obviously, we didn't mean it literally. We meant it that we were going to take a break. We took a break for a couple of years, um, and we found ourselves going back, and um. You know, uh, it just made sense. You know, we had done the let's go to the pub things and the drunken at the dance and, you, you know, all of this stuff. And, and just how about another round just seemed seemed like the perfect name for it. And, and you know, it, it just so happened that my neighbor is from England. So uh, I was just like, dude, you want to come over and like help me with this video? You know, and, and I'll just basically I just got to get you like doing some stuff where you know, like we'd have a round of beers. So he gets a beer out of the fridge. He's like, hey guys, how about another round? And then he's, you know, swinging a golf club. How about another round? Like round of golf. And then, you know, then he sees the guitars. He's like, how about another round? And then it's us and talking about the fact that we're coming back. So, um, you know, just a lot of stuff fell into place at the, at the right time. And, um, you know, we, we were lucky enough to be able to advertise at that download festival and the shows were fucking crazy good. And, um, it was nice. We got welcomed back, um, you know, with uh, with open arms. I, you know, very little. I, I joked about the backlash of the word farewell earlier, um, but it really was just minor. I mean, most of the time it's just people who didn't like our band anyway, you know, and, and which is fine. I mean, you, you can't like everybody, but... Uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. It was cool to go back and and you know sales were good and and people were genuinely having a good time at the shows and you know I uh, I'm glad that we've that we've made our way back and I'm glad we're uh, that this last tour went so well and 
you know, glad that we'll be talking about coming back, hopefully sometime in the near future. What was it like having that video premiere at download, like for, for that to be the big comeback announcement? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I don't think we realized the impact of it because we weren't there, you know, so I think yeah. um, it, it was just a lot of people putting pictures of it up on their phone or tweeting it to us or putting it on Facebook and things like that. So I don't think we realized the impact of it until, like you said, around Sunday where people were just like, okay, guys, we get it. You're coming back, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Um, but for the most part, you know, the reaction was, was really good and, and, um, you know, super positive and, and, but yeah, I mean, I, again, it's, it's hard to measure the impact of it because, you know, we weren't there seeing it, but, uh, super fucking cool. You know, I mean, you can't really ask for a better announcement than that. Awesome. Uh, story behind the song I wanted to pick one from from Drunk Enough to Dance this time. So the most voted for one on that album was Cold Shower Tuesdays. So oh, I don't know if you wow. want to just talk about that. That's that's a, must have some great stories behind it. Interesting. Well, if you saw my Heartache and Hilarity tour, then you actually heard the heard the story behind this one. Um, that one is a real legitimate love song. Um, it is about um, someone who I was having a relationship with uh, while I still lived in our hometown back in the day. And um, for whatever reasons, you know, other people being involved, um, you know, I can't really go into to it too much, but we kind of weren't supposed to be together. So it was kind of this secret and um, there were real feelings involved and, and it got to be very, very serious and a, and a very serious secret. And, and secrets back then were really hard because you didn't have the texting and the cell phones and all of that. Like you were basically either trying to fi- trying to meet somewhere or you had to fucking talk on a payphone or some shit, you know? And, um, so that relationship, um, you know, found its way into, you know, the, the just being like fucking crazy love shit. And about that time, um, it was, it was kind of time for us to make a decision to go or stay. And, um, I chose to go. And, um, it, it wouldn't have been good for me to keep that relationship going because there was, there was, she had a kid and, uh, I was going to school at the time and just had other shit going on in her life. Um, and so I did the thing that you, that you do in the movies and, uh, broke it off and went and, uh, you know, that's one of those things where you just, it's, it, you just, ne- you just, you don't ever stop thinking about that shit. Obviously I'm happy where I am right now. I'm madly in love with my wife. My wife's my best friend. Um, but that, that's where that song comes from. So, you know, where I say, uh, tell her I'm not sorry, mention my Ferrari. And and what's funny is when I wrote that, obviously we, we hadn't even really had a hit yet. So what I was suggesting to everyone was just, just basically, you know, go tell her I'm fine. I'm doing great. You know, I'm, I'm kicking ass, you know, and, but don't tell her that I miss her. You know, so, um, but all of it's true. Finger traced, I love you in the palm of my hand. Like that really did happen. Uh, fucking, it was in a dark place too. And, and, uh, made literally the stomach drop out of me. Cause it was the first time that that had been said in that relationship, you know? And, um, and then, uh, still the only time I has, has uh, feet in my lap and drove away the past me. Um, that is from like, we would go, we would meet up. And she would jump in into my van, and we would just kind of drive out into the middle of nowhere and just drive around because, you know, you, we could be together out there. Um, and 
and and nobody really had anything to say about it, you know, if that if that's what we were doing. So, um, and then uh, hands matched. The that was the thing is like we we had like similar lines on our hands, and uh, see, on the phone, called on the phone back back to like having to do the relationship thing from the payphone kind of thing, you know, like, and then just basically this that was sort of the lead up to everything was that I would call from the road and already it was upsetting to her that I was gone and that you know all these songs would make her cry because she would think about me and all this and when when we were making the decision to really to just go and and not know when we were coming back if ever uh in Bowling for Soup that that's that had to have come into my head you know like man I don't want her to be miserable so I'm gonna just fucking go and uh, so then, uh, so I took some liberties on the uh, campfire cookies is definitely real. That was something we had in common for you guys to, oh, and actually campfire sells candy. So they're Girl Scout cookies here, but, uh, and you guys have scouts there. So you know kind of what I'm talking about, Girl Scouts, brownies or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, campfires, uh, I was actually in, I was in the first year of boys being allowed in campfire. So that was a throwback to that. Um John Hughes movies, obviously John Hughes movies. Junior Mints is actually not a thing. Um, that was she liked this candy called Bitto Honey, and I was trying to fit that in, but I couldn't get it in there. Uh, and then Cold Shower Tuesdays was is that um, you know neither one of us liked really hot showers, <laughs> and that's and uh, one day we uh, we met at at I believe her grandmother's house or something. She was house sitting in something, and uh, it happened to be a Tuesday. So that's pretty much the story behind the song. I mean, it's pretty much just real, real true. And uh, kind of one of those ones where like after I wrote that song, we recorded it and nobody really brought it up to me about who it was about or the time or anything from the band for a long time. And then it just came up in conversation one day. They were just, oh, yeah, we all know about that. What? What do you think? We're fucking stupid. And I was just like, oh, OK. <laughs> so I apologize for being a little bit vague in that story i hope that that does though give a little bit of insight into like how a song can be like super real because it's it definitely is like there's there's no uh there's there's no exaggerations in that one that one's just uh right down the middle that's cool i think that's probably the first time anyone's ever said she jumped in my van and we drove to the middle of nowhere and it being romantic and not <laughs> terrifying right yeah and not uh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Not wondering whether she was coming back alive or or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. You're right. God, I'm fucking creepy. Uh, just before we move on from that, I, just one question I have is when you name a song and it's, you know, a one one line from the song or a reference from the song is, is the title instead of a big chorus line being the title, right. do you get a lot of pushback from the record label? No, I mean, I used to get pushback from the record label because I would name songs things that didn't have anything to do with the song. Like, it wouldn't even be, for example, um, song Scope was like our first big single uh, when, we were, when we were doing the local label thing. And that song is called Scope because I say, close to you, I want to get close to you. And Scope is a brand of mouthwash. And that's that's the whole reason it's called Scope. And then, you know, there's uh, there's a song called um, Friday, and it's only called Friday because the first line is Tuesday seemed like it was Thursday, and I was just like, let's just call it Friday. And then, you know, and you've heard the story about Belgium a thousand times, and uh, 
So that's really when I, when we when we st- when we did let's do it for Johnny. Uh, and Jive Records, like when when you get an A and R guy, which is basically like an A and R guy is essentially like your producer or not really a producer. It's more like your uh, I don't know. He's like an assistant teacher or something. He becomes kind of like the fifth member of your band, and his job is to just make sure everything gets done. And so you know, and he was a song guy, and um, so he he had input, you know, he would ask me about lyrics and lines and shit like that. And I'd never, you know, I'd never been through that before. I had never had anybody tell me that a song title didn't make sense or that a line in a song didn't make sense. And I, I was already weird about the fact that I'd started writing songs that actually meant some shit, you know, cause I hadn't done that in the first six or eight years that we were a band. So, you know, I got, would get super defensive. So finally I just kind of gave in. I mean, um, but still, I was able to sneak a few in there um, where, I, you know, sometimes the title, sometimes it's just the significance of the song is within the song itself and not necessarily in the words. And so I think as long as you're as long as you're being realistic about the fact that you can't call all your songs, you know, just some fucked up shit, then you don't really get that much backlash. But um so that was a roundabout answer to your song. I mean, I think I would have been I, w- I would have been able to explain "Cold Shower Tuesdays" more than I would have, you know, like a song from our first record called "Shark," you know, where or "Monopoly," where "Monopoly" is just called "Monopoly" because I just talk about how she's playing games, and "Monopoly" is a game, and that you know what I mean. So, and there's there's ones yep. that are way more fucked up than that. Like, how did you get the name of that song? You know, so. Um, I mean, there's a there's a song called Corn Dog, and I don't I, that song. The reason why that song is called Corn Dog is so fucked up. I actually don't remember why I call it that. Like I had a reason at then, but I don't remember what it is now. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, now it's pretty much just one of those things where it's like, okay, that's the title. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you don't do that anymore because when you get a song in your head and you're trying to remember what it's called. Mm. And you, all you have to do is get to the chorus to figure out what it's called. And yeah. with those, with those early ones, I don't know which fucking song yeah. is which. I know all the songs, but I don't know which which one is which. You know what? As a music fan, I totally agree with you. It's like that <laughs> uh, um, that one of my favorite Frank Turner songs is "I Knew Proof Rock Before He Was Famous" or whatever the fuck. And I, I still never can get the title of that song right. And then, uh, you know, uh, my favorite Green Day song ever is like "Road to Pascala." Tonga or some shit, and I it, it I don't even know how there's a significance to that, but I fucking love that. Here we go again. It's so good, but yes, I agree with you. I was a, I was an asshole, and I hope you <laughs> forgive me now. Last thing we've got is questions from the fan page, and we have a lot to get through, so we'll try and try and get through these pretty quick. Uh, Alexander Hunt asks, "What was the craziest thing that happened during the recent Drunk Enough to Dance tour?" Gosh, craziest thing that happened during the recent tour. Um, I, I don't know about crazy. I mean, funniest was we we got a, a uh, we got a cake brought to us in Norwich that was made in the shape of an asshole, and it had a candy bar sticking out of its ass because Chris had told the kid once that he would get him a drumstick if the kid would eat a candy bar out of his ass, which refers way back to another story from back in like 2003 and it was just like all the stars aligned and here we are like taking pictures of this cake um 
you know, that was uh, that that was my that that by far is the funniest moment on the tour. I don't know if anything crazy happened. Did anything crazy happen? Oh no, I'll tell you the craziest thing that happened. Holy shit! It was in Cardiff. A fucking girl was just standing on the side of the stage, and she's like this tattooed. Uh, she's a tattoo model or some shit. And she's just jumping around and filming shit on her phone. And uh, Casey, like, kind of looks over at her. And I kind of look over at her or whatever. And the next thing you know, she's just fucking gone. She just fell She just fell off the stage. And uh, just, like, walked into the abyss. There was there was no railing up. And uh, cut her head open and shit. And uh, it, was, it was a whole thing, man. They had to, like, cart her off. And, and uh, hopefully, I'm sure she's okay because we haven't heard anything different. But... I do know that she was there to visit Aaron from Army of Freshmen. I think he had different, different. Uh, he had a different outlook for the evening than how it worked, how it how it went down. So, you know, what are you gonna do? I mean, sometimes things well, end, end differently than you want. Yeah, I didn't know we were gonna talk about that, but that was that was a pretty frightening frightening thing. The the stage in Cardiff was six foot high, and she fell straight to the floor. So yeah, well, to be pretty, fair, she pretty did, terrifying. To be fair, she did hit the stage first and then go to the floor. So she did. The stage did break her. Fall. I'm just kidding. Mm. No, it sucked. It really was bad. It's like one of those things where it's just like, fuck. I don't even know what to do. There's already 20 people around her. You know. Anyway, hopefully she's fine. So I'm hoping your answer to the next question is going to be different than than that story. Um, Melissa De Silva asks, "What was your favorite memory from the UK tour?" Favorite mem- memory from the UK tour. Um, there are so fucking many of them, but I will tell you that when we were when we started Where to Begin, and we got into that first chorus, I think it was, uh, and the, they we got the spark wall or whatever. It was, and I, you know, it's one of those things where you just, when you're a musician, you just you don't ever think one of these days there's going to be fire behind me and then a bunch of fucking sparks and you know it's like it was crazy. It was so metal and so awesome and. Uh, that was definitely, I think that's my favorite moment, for sure. And for, for anyone who doesn't know what Jarrett's talking about, that only happened in Brixton on the last night, yeah. and that was filmed for the DVD. So if you weren't there, you really should go to bowlingforsoup.com. You'll be able to pre-order the live DVD that was filmed at Brixton Academy, and it's it was a great night. It's already being edited, by the way. I'm already seeing shots from it, already, already starting to approve sounds from it. So we're hoping to have it out by June. I think there's a hard deadline for that because we have dicked around on dvds in the past whether our fault or somebody else's so um 100 go there's some cool pre-order packages with some exclusive merch and that stuff too so but all in all get the show it's an awesome it's it was an awesome night and uh, it'll be fun to relive that with with everybody yeah, it's, it's going to be a great DVD. There's probably going to be some shots of me at the side of the stage looking sick and ready to go home and <laughs> just <laughs> looking looking like shit, basically. Yeah, well, it's, it uh, takes a lot out of you. You worked your ass off, though, man. You uh, you really did. We, we definitely appreciate it. But, yeah, you. Uh, it takes a while to recover from tour. It really does. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Yates-Smith asks... What was it like being back on tour with Army and Freshman after this long? Did it feel like you just carried on Get Happy exactly where you left off, or was it better or harder than before? It was. There was really no change. I mean, it was cool having them there. I mean, it, it was like, uh, you know, in the hallways or whatever, you'd kind of stop. But I don't know. I mean, I, I felt like everybody's kind of grown up now. I mean, all of them, all a lot of them have kids. We've all got kids. And so you, it sort of felt like during the day, everybody's sort of just taking – 
taking care of their stuff and then at night we'd all have some drinks and then you know it, it it's it's uh it definitely didn't see it definitely wasn't worse uh it, and it definitely wasn't bad i mean because it was never bad but no it was cool it was just it was it was uh it was comforting you know it's it's always nice when we have patent pending or the dolly rots or uh army of freshmen or, or you know some of the bands that we've toured with more to where um when the backstage is sort of nothing going on and it's just comfortable and everybody is just doing their own shit and uh there's nothing wrong with a little bit of uh just you know status quo so (laughs) sometimes it's you know it's hard to find that so um no but they they were they were awesome they they killed it every night It it was uh it was great to see them still so energetic and fun and uh but yeah i mean you know they're not uh, they're not young either, so uh, I think all of us during the day were were kind of just recovering. Just want to quickly say thanks again to Sean who made this awesome piece of art of me asking for more sprite or being asked for more sprite. Should I say um, when I have that framed and on the wall, I will post a picture in the fan page. But most of you have probably already seen it. That was that was pretty cool. So thanks again for that. Uh, Nick Bartlett asks. How did it feel to headline an arena and what was going through your head? Well, I, so during the day I was like, holy shit, we're headlining an arena. But then I would sort of just forget. I will say that it was kind of just another show. And by just another show, I don't mean to downplay it. I just mean we're out there, we're doing our show. Here's the thing. And then, but when we walked off, it was like, holy shit. You know, we just headlined a fucking arena. I mean, that's like. Uh, another one of those things that you just add to your name, like Grammy nominated or, you know, award-winning songwriter or, you know, we're arena headliner, you know, it's, it's, uh, it meant a lot to our band. Um, I don't think we took the time necessarily beforehand to bask in it. Uh, afterwards we definitely had a nice little moment. Um, and, uh, and, and then that night, um, really kind of just let, let it all sink in a little bit. Uh, it meant the absolute world to us, though. So, um, you know, anybody who drove, obviously, we counted on a lot of people traveling to that show. So it meant a lot that everybody was there. And uh, we fucking did it. You know, room looked great and um, couldn't be happier with the way that it turned out. And uh, very, very thankful. Geraldine Darling asks, how was on stage for the band? In Brixton, I think there were over 50 folk on the stage. Was that weird for the band? And did we drink all your drinks? <laughs> you know, what's funny is, and again, I, I I never want this to sound like anything other than just what it is. Like, I don't, uh, but when I forget that people are even there. Like, I sort of look back every once in a while. I sort of see them. I try to acknowledge them or whatever. But really, to me, I'm doing my show, you know, I mean, there are times when I forget Gary's there, you know, or forget Eric's, there. you know what I mean? No, it really does happen. It's just like, I'm in my own little world. And you know, th- that, that's a, uh, to me, that's a compliment to Gary. Cause if I only really would realize he was there if he fucked up, you know? So when, you know, when everybody's in the zone or whatever, you just sort of realize, holy shit, I haven't paid attention to anybody else in a while. Um, but it was really cool. I mean, uh, the the whole stage bar thing was awesome. It was an experiment. I think it worked great. I think we learned what to do, what not to do next time. Um, I think the main thing for me was is that all the fans have a really, really great time, and I think we definitely accomplished that. And uh, keep everybody safe, we accomplished that. And, um, you know, so 
all that being said, uh, yeah, it was wonderful. I mean, it was cool. It was it was nice to we we didn't you know with with us playing so many songs, there was not near as much interaction with everybody as maybe there would have been in previous tours where we could kind of just decide we'd go back to the bar and have a drink or whatever. But we didn't have time. It's like we even cut a song. We didn't play. She's got a boyfriend now at Brixton. We had to cut that. I believe that's the one um, because we were we were running out of time. So, um, anywho, it, it was great, and, and it definitely didn't, uh, it didn't hinder our performance. I think, if anything, it just gave us a little bit more energy, and, and uh, it was super cool having everybody up there. And no, Marco and Daniel would have never let you drink all our drinks. Hmm. Not, not in Brixton, certainly. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> happens some nights. Uh, Paul, Paul Martin asks, was there a particular song that you played that you haven't played in a long time that you'll be playing more in future shows because of the reaction it got on this tour? I was thinking about that. I was thinking about Life After Lisa and I Don't Want to Rock. Um, both of those, you know, um, I've always, you know, uh, Running From Your Dad has always been a big crowd favorite. It's that, that song is kind of like always back pocket when we get a 90-minute set and I'm not out, able to swear or something like that here in the States. I can pull that one out of my back pocket, but um, I guess the ones that I would say would be Life After Lisa, I Don't Want to Rock, and Out the Window were, oh, and Greatest Day, too. I, you forget how people like that song, Greatest Day, and like to us, it was, it was always this throwaway song. It really wasn't even supposed to be on the album. We didn't even record that when we recorded everything else. Um, it just kind of got stripped on there. Um but yeah, I mean, um, those would be the ones. I think uh, I think Greatest Day was the one that we all, as a band, were like, "Shit, we should play that." I mean, it's that's a good one. So, uh, Robert Beeston asks, "How come you had a new Music Man guitar on this tour? Is it the start of a new signature guitar?" Um, maybe. I really liked it. Um, you know, I um, I went to Ernie Ball last summer, and my hopes. Excuse me. <laughs> My hopes was originally to retire the Texas guitar. It's been on the road for a really long time. Uh, it's special to me, and most of the time when a guitar becomes special to me, like my acoustic that got stolen in Boston, or the guitar from the Bitch Song video that was my original main guitar, the Fender, uh, got stolen in Denton, um, you know, something happens. So I thought I was going to retire it. Um, I really like playing that the new guitar. It sounds awesome, um, but there is something just really comfortable about my Texas one. So I'm not retiring the Texas one, but I do enjoy playing the other one, and um, they were nice enough to customize that for me. And so we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I mean, it's heavier, so throwing it around my neck is not an option. Um, also, I bang the shit out of my knee with it all the time because the body is lower. Um, but, you know, I'll get used to all that and... Uh, but thank you for noticing. Yeah, it's a, a very cool guitar. So thanks to Ernie Ball and everybody there for, for that hookup. Roden James asks, when you hand over your iconic one-of-a-kind Texas guitar to a complete stranger, is there a split second when you think that this could go horribly wrong? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, sometimes. You know, it's it's I, I, I try not to think about it. One of the big big lessons that I learned early on, my one of my best friends' name is Casey DiOrio. Uh, and he um, he always had really expensive amps on stage, but he'd set a beer on top of it, and 
you know, would never give a shit. He owns Valve Studios here in Dallas. We do some recording there sometimes. And I was just like, dude, like, you know, like, are you not worried that you're going to spill your beer? And he was just like, dude, you can't treat anything on the road like you can't live without it because the minute something happens to it, you're going to freak out. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. So that's kind of how I try to be. But I will say that, like, you know, when the acoustic that, that I wrote all the hits on got stolen and and again that bitch song guitar um you know it it sucks it it really does and and you know you get a, you get a new one but it's not the same and so uh you know th- I do think about it I I do think about it a lot Michael Price asks how did it feel singing 1985 in Brixton without the guitar in your hand do you like being able to move around the stage mid song yeah, I do. I liked it better when I was skinny and I looked cool doing it. Um, but I, um, you know, now being a fatty, I just move around as best as I can. Um, I do. I, I do like the lead singing thing. Um, you know, I used to do that on a couple of songs during the tour. So maybe when I get back in shape, we'll uh, we'll start doing that again. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of no different. I mean, it, it does happen quite a bit. Like um, people asking to play guitar, I just. Man, that that could not have gone any better with, uh, I believe his name was Derek from, I uh, can't remember where he was from, Sweden maybe, but he... I think, I think it might have been Poland. That's right, that's right, you're right. And, I mean, just that guy, he was so happy and he was so excited, it just, it worked out amazing, just the fact that he had had the sign the whole night. So, you know, you never know how those things are going to go, but, uh, you know, fing- fingers crossed sometimes it works out and it did. Yeah, he was the best. Uh, Scott Scott Rowan asks, "What songs from the album are the hardest to pull off live?" Uh, it took us a minute on uh, the hard way because, yeah, huh? I'll edit all the yawns out. It took us a little <laughs> bit on the hard way. Um, there's a couple of things that that I guess I was doing songwriting wise back then that I still do, but I've changed the way I do it. So there's a certain way that I'll turn things around, um, and a certain pattern that I'll do chord wise. And I was adding an extra note back then. Uh, and so that took us a minute to kind of figure out. And then, uh, just getting tight on the hard way because it stops differently each time it goes to the chorus. Uh, I guess that one would be, I guess if I'm if I'm thinking, yeah, that one's got to be would have had to have been the hardest one. Most of the other ones just kind of came to us, and and that one didn't take, you know, it took a few tries and we had it, but um, but that was definitely the one where we played it the first time. Like we didn't come close to even making it through the song. Like, and it was funny because we were rehearsing that in uh, here, and Gary's kid had come out to the practice, and he's seven, and he's a drummer, and he knows every one of our songs and can play them all and it was like it came up to the hard way and he was like yes the hard way and he hadn't said anything the whole practice and he was so excited and then we just fucking destroyed it and and it was just like okay guys we may take a listen to that one and come back to it next time and uh, so just completely crushed the poor kid but uh anyway he he got over it and he's he uh, gary says he's still singing that song all the time I always think Bone Soup songs especially must be difficult lyrically for you to perform while hammered because you will turn a phrase three different ways in the same song and to remember which order that comes in and everything, you know, 
like you say, leading into a chorus, especially like if you're going to change that each time, that must get so confusing. It actually gets, and this is the God's honest truth, and I'll, I will 100%, I'm being completely honest. It's actually harder, that kind of stuff is harder sober. Uh, and, 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 and I don't mean like when you're just shit-faced, you can't play, but I mean like having a couple of drinks and relaxing makes it so much easier because you don't think about it. It's when you think, oh shit, what are the words to this next thing that's coming up that they're never coming? There's no way. Like, that's a whole, like, fucking, I'm going to have to admit to the audience that I just forgot this song that I wrote fucking 15 years ago. You know, so, um, so yeah, there's a couple of those. Um, uh, there was one in particular that I don't know. I don't know that we got it right till like the last night. Oh, uh, it's on on and on about you. Seven months has had enough, or seven months just enough of putting up with her, or it's putting up with me. And so, like, it, I think it was the last night where Eric and I both finally got it right. Like, for me, I, <laughs> I figured it out about halfway through because I was like, okay, it's me first because that rhymes with TV, you know? And then her, because it's the bigger boobs. And so I got that all reasoned out in my head. But um, still, there's a few things like that throughout the night where um, you're right. It's it, it just one or two little words change, and you, you hope that you, that, you, that you nail it every once in a while. <laughs> Richard Hayes asks, what was the coolest hairstyle you saw on tour in the UK? <laughs> Mine. Oh my god! I was I was gonna fucking say to Richard, I will give you a hundred dollars if he doesn't say his own. <laughs> I fucking knew you were gonna say that. You're a dick. <laughs> You're such a dick. Oh my god! I'm Jarrett Reddick. I forget that Gary exists. Also, my hair is the best. <laughs> no, hey, don't take me, don't take that out of context. I said if Gary fucked up all the time, then I would know he was there. Uh, I I I saw a couple of cool mohawks. Um, in particular, like the first or second night, like a dad, like rocking this crazy mohawk and brought his kid down. And, uh, but I don't know. I felt like the hairstyles were all kind of, kind of tame this time. I mean, there were a few different colors and things like that, but it, it wasn't anything super crazy. Everyone's getting older. Yeah, That's what it is. It's gotta be what it is. Lucy Murray asks, how do you pronounce Birmingham and Nottingham so the UK fans don't mock your American accent without sounding like a poser? Well, you got to do uh, Birmingham, of course, instead of Birmingham. And what was the other one? Norwich? Nottingham. Oh, Nottingham. Like, I don't. I just go Nottingham. I, like, I, just, I can't go Nottingham. I guess, I guess if I'm speaking on the microphone, Nottingham, I'll say Nottingham. But, like, if I'm talking here, I'd say Nottingham. But I I definitely don't say Birmingham, but I don't say Birmingham, Alabama anymore. Like, you guys have, like, chiseled that into my brain. It's Birmingham. That's how you fucking pronounce it. Um, I think more people have trouble with uh, calling Nor calling it Norwich because we would call that Norwich, you know? Yeah. And then the other one that's fucking crazy is the Worcester, you know? Because that's yeah. Wor Worcestershire. <laughs> There's a part and pending song. I think it's too much to think. It's definitely on the um, Armageddon EP where uh, Joe says both Birmingham and Nottingham, and he says them both wrong. So if you listen to that, you it's don't say it like that. That's your lesson. Don't <laughs> say it like go. that. But Lucy, to be honest, you're uh, you're from a few different parts of the U.S. where you know you can't really get around your accent anyway. So just don't try. Just let them laugh. It's fine. And it must be tough because you guys have a Birmingham over there as well, right? 
Yeah, so we, Alabama, Alabama. Yeah, exactly. So we have Birmingham. We call it Birmingham, and we have um, we where you guys say Worcester. We say Worcestershire, Worcestershire, or Worcestershire, because <laughs> that's we have like a steak sauce that's that's called that here. And um, so yeah, there's there's definitely those things, but th- that's just differences in the way that we say shit. And there's a lot of that. I I started thinking about something. I was thinking about how I do my rants about how, you know, English people with the silent T's and all that shit. And, you know, I'll, uh, and to me, that's fucking hilarious. Whoops, sorry. My cell phone's sitting right here. Okay. So to me, that's fucking hilarious. But I started thinking about, like, um, you know, like, I've, I make fun of myself because, again, we don't say water. We say water, water, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But I started thinking about what you guys must think of, like, the, New Jersey accent where they just put random R's on the end of words so they'll say like the law you know like it's against the law <laughs> you guys have to be just like what the fuck is going on I was listening to something like uh, some some podcast today and it was like a bunch of Italian mobster dudes and they all do that thing where they just put the random R at the end of the word so uh, you know what man we've got fucked up accents everywhere nobody's really speaking the language correctly and if you did we'd all think you were posh that's probably true. Uh, Joy Hollins had asked, did anyone get singed by the pyrotechnics? Nope. No, we have a, uh, in all seriousness. Now, I, I will say that uh, it it does sort of feel like it's about to singe the shit out of you sometimes, but um, there's bare, there's little tape as to where people can go, and then there are safety, safety lines in place of to, like, they won't do pyro if there's a person that's not supposed to be in a certain area, like... Daniel has to, like, stand on one side of the stage and mark on the other and, like, make sure that somebody doesn't cross a certain line. So, you know, there's definitely some some safety aspects to it. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it can scare the shit out of you sometimes if you don't know what's coming. Yeah, I do just want to say I'm sorry if I ruined anyone's photos. I know that at least once in Cardiff I had to push someone while they were having a photo taken because there is a point where if you cross a line – there's insurance agreements and we have to make sure everyone is, is in a certain place mm-hmm. when the pyro goes off. And like, if you try and pose for a photo and step over that line, then we, we can't wait until you've had that photo taken. Cause Correct. you know, if you light, if you light on fire, then <laughs> nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna have a good nobody's night. Gonna, you know? Yeah. It so. just basically means that they can't shoot the fire and it's like supposed to happen at certain points of the songs or whatever. So, um, you know, it's a safety precaution. I remember the, uh, we were watching blink One Eighty Two at uh reading one year we were on side stage and all of a sudden they came back and they just kicked everybody the fuck off the stage and it wasn't just like a polite english person it was like a huge you know american dude and just like get the fuck off the stage right now i can't fire my pyro till it's time and then that's the year that they just (laughs) lit up the word fuck behind them and uh so um you know they uh i get it you know at that at that point i was like man why do i have to leave like i'm a professional but you know it's uh as you said there's there's some other implications to that yep um on a very related note lucy murray asks how are you able to keep a straight face while the pyro is going off right in front of you um well i don't always actually i do laugh sometimes um and then uh as some of you who who saw uh i can't remember what show it was but Excuse me again. I believe it might have been Cardiff where um, 
I was doing high school never ends and it wasn't fire. It was the CO2 and that's like cold. Uh, but it, I was standing right in front of it and it scared the shit out of me. And, uh, I laughed for like a half a song after that. So, um, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's, it, and it, it also, another thing that makes it to where it's not funny every time is it always happens at a certain part of the song, uh, that has a certain energy about it. And I will say that it fucking feels cool. <laughs> it really does. Like, you're just like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> It's it just happens and it's explosion and you're just like God damn that must have looked awesome from out there and so um, you know but but I but I will say that I do crack up laughing a lot at shit like that. Uh, Nigel Watson, no question, just a statement. Thanks for being awesome. You guys made a lot of dreams come true during the tour. Brixton will live with me forever. You're the best. Oh man, you're awesome. Thank you, Nigel. You're. Uh, you are one of the good ones. I'm sorry I didn't get to be your wingman, as promised, but uh, next time. <laughs> um, we're about at the hour mark. Do you have time? Because we have we have probably 15 more questions we could run through. Um, well, do you want to do some now and save some for the next time? Or um, what do you want to do? Well, I specified that these ones had to be related to touring because this was the tour special, so... Let's just blow through I, I, Yeah? Yeah, okay. fuck it. <clears throat> okay. Joe Tasker asks, are there any plans for a Let's Do It For Johnny 20th anniversary tour in 2020? Not necessarily the full album, but just a few more songs from it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know about the whole anniversary thing. I really am glad we did this one. Uh, we'll be approaching the 15th anniversary of Hangover You Don't Deserve soon, and as you said, uh, 20th anniversary of Let's Do It For Johnny, um, and then we've got our, you know, but I don't know. I mean, the band's about to turn 25. I think that is something we'll celebrate, and then I just think we'll see what goes on from there. You know, I mean, I think a greatest hits tour might make a little bit more sense uh, to include some of the songs from Let's Do It For Johnny, but uh, don't get me wrong. I fucking love that album, but... Uh, I don't fool myself into thinking that, you know, most of our fans didn't come from the hangover burrito era, you know. So, um, you know, and those of you who didn't, I still love you. And uh, I like all the albums. Uh, and David Dooley, th this is why I wanted to carry on with the questions because so many people had so many great questions. David Dooley asks... Are there cities in the U.S. that rival the feel of shows in the U.K.? Everyone that I know that has seen you there says it's so different and higher energy. Yeah, it's different because it's culturally different. Um, so you have to understand when we played Dallas or we played New York or we played Chicago or we played Denver, um, it's awesome. And But it's it's not just us. I think it's bands in general. I mean, if you've ever seen a band over in the U.S., you know, that isn't like an Avenged Sevenfold or, you know, something like that where it's, you know, moshing and shit like that. But when you're a pop-punk band that's been around for a long time, you know, in the U.S., you're going to have a couple of douchebags that start a mosh pit during the fucking ballad and, you know, or Phineas and Ferb or whatever. But for the most part, they'll police that shit. It'll stop. And then, you know, people will stand there and enjoy the show. Um, you know, so to answer your question, it's just a completely different thing. I mean, playing in the U.S. is different than playing in the U.K., which is different than playing in Japan, which is different than playing in, <clears throat> you know, insert country here. Um, so, you know, it, it's something to see. But I will say that you're getting 
just as awesome of shows here, David Dooley in Dallas. Um, it's just we just don't have fire. What I would say as someone from the UK who has seen Bowling Soup in the UK and the US, this it, it, it absolutely is a culture thing. So in in like in the UK, if doors open at seven and the first band goes on at seven fifteen, we'll be at the venue for probably 5.30, waiting right. for, the, for the doors to open. And and if we can be in there for every support band, we will be in there. Right. And when I came when I came to Texas to see Bowling for Soup, I was surprised by like how empty this place was when we arrived and that it only filled up right before they went on stage. Yeah, and it's, was- um, man, it's th- that's just our culture too. I mean, it's like uh, even if you go to an American football game, you know, people spend so much money to get there, but they kick off and more than half the people aren't even in their seats yet. You know, um, I don't know. Again, it's, yeah, like you said, the, the, and, and here's the thing. It's not like our fans don't support the supports here in the U S cause they do. I mean, like our support bands love to tour with us here or there. Um, it's just, it's again, it's, it's just different. It's a different culture. It's a, you guys have a different, way of watching shows and uh, I like them both I, I I you know I enjoy touring both places Matt Walker asks how do you decide who to take on tour and how do you make sure that everyone's schedules line up is it a personal thing or do managers handle it all and managers is in quotes there <laughs> uh, I don't know why well I decide who goes on tour with us and uh, as far as schedulers are concerned uh, you know we get we, when we're planning something, we put the date sort of out there to all four of us. Um, make sure that it's cool with uh, with my schedule and Gary's mostly because we have the young kids. And then uh, Chris and Eric are pretty much good to go all the time. Then you hope that all the crew guys can make it happen. But if you don't, you know, then you, you, you end up having to hire some other dudes. Uh, but as far as support bands, it, it's I and since um, 2002, I believe when I was forced to take a band or two on on tour in the UK because our agent thought it would be good for our band. Uh, and since that those that tour, I believe is one tour. Um, I have not let anybody else tell me who the fuck is going on the road with us. <laughs> so it's usually bands that I have seen and that I like, or like MC Lars. I heard his demo and I just was like, this is happening, or I meet somebody out on the road or whatever. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty much how it works. David Stockwell asks, are there any specifics that you guys have to have on tour with you minus the booze, like specific food, drink, animals, etc.? <laughs> well, we do like touring in the U S cause we can have, um, our dog, uh, and, and it's going to be exciting here coming up. It'll be Wally's first long tour. Um, and, uh, but yeah, not really. I mean, um, you know, everybody's kind of got their own little things that, that we can get. It does change a lot. Um, you know, we always have sandwich stuff on hand so that if you're ever hungry, you can, it, you know, you can just make a sandwich. Uh, obviously everybody loves having their laptop. You know, it's, it's changed so much because used to is, you know, we all carried an iPod and a DVD player and a computer and a camera and all this shit. Now it's just, everything's just in your fucking phone. So, uh, you know, it's our, uh, it's our phones and our, um, I lost Daniel. Okay. This is a good time for us to talk about him. 
All right, Daniel is, he's got a hamburger on his shirt, and he is a huge burden on his mother. And uh, let's see if he's back. Hold on. Oh, I think he's back. Are you back? He's back. Uh, we all, yeah, we, we, we almost made it. God yeah. damn it. Well, I will say uh, this, that it the sound did cut out, or the... We did lose the recording for about a minute earlier, but I I got it back going on. So I'll edit it and make it sound pretty. But um, yeah, was yeah. I saying something hilarious at the time? Because I'll be mad. Uh, no, <laughs> you don't. You don't run any risk of that on this particular podcast. You're good. Um, I... but yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, no, David. I mean, like honestly, um, you know, a good a clean toilet, a shower every once in a while, and a good and good cell service, and we're good. Yeah, I did. I did say. Uh, I did reply to this question and and say that there's nothing interesting on the rider at all. The most uh, exotic it gets is when we have pineapple in the assorted fruit. Yeah, um, which that will uh, happen. That, you know, some and, and so a lot of times it's kind of here too, where we have a little bit more control over it. But we will just be like, hey, you know, to mark, you know, everybody, you know, can you get some bananas and some, you know, this or this or, you know, can we get I don't know, whatever it is. It's just like, I don't know. One time a couple of years ago, we were just like, we were out for like a month and a half. And uh, we were just like, dude, can you just get us some ice cream tomorrow? Like we just had like a fucking ice cream party, you know? So you just never know. But most, if, it, if it's anything specific, then that's usually a one-time thing. One funny thing I will say that um, on this tour on Army of Freshmen's Rider, it said, uh, one crate of beer, Miller Lite, brackets, we can dream. <laughs> uh, obviously, right. we weren't able to arrange for them no. to have Miller Lite once. No, that doesn't matter. <laughs> no. Uh, Paul Cooper asks, how many people usually tour with BFS, including roadies, managers, support acts, etc.? Well, in um, the U.S., it's uh, our bus is usually 10 people. That's band, crew, and driver. Uh, but there, that now um, the occasional wife will come out. Um, but yeah, usually between nine and twelve on our bus. Supports are you know between five and six a piece. Usually there's two of those. Um, in the UK, it's it's a pretty crazy entourage. I mean, our with by the time we had our camera crew and lights and our our guys and. Um, you know, the tattoo people and all that shit. It was, uh, man, I mean, I don't know. We were rolling probably closer to like 35 people, something like that. I mean, we had 16 on our bus and then a full separate bus and then another crew bus and then the Aquabats. So it was a lot of people. Um, it's, it's quite a, it's quite an operation. I mean, but you know, it's everybody's self-contained. In other words, most of the time, you know, the, the support bands are taking care of themselves and we're taking care of ourselves and, you know, we, we're taking care of the crew. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it varies a little bit, but for the most part, like our main like circle is around 10 people. I know most people don't get to kind of see the, the behind the scenes on a tour bus, etc. Um, my 10 year old sister came to the Manchester show and 
the the most exciting thing that she saw the entire night she you know i brought her on stage and she watched from the back of the stage and everything her favorite thing she saw all night was to go upstairs on the tour bus and see that there's 16 bunk beds upstairs on on a tour <laughs> yeah. bus she mm. fucking loved that for some reason so yeah i mean that's i suppose that's not the kind of thing you'd expect is the 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 upstairs it's like a double decker bus and upstairs you've got you've got 16 pretty small bunks really but you know it's not it's not glamorous but there's a lot of space on there you know it's it's 16 people's a lot to fit on one bus it's not glamorous but it's cool to see you know and and i get it i mean jesus christ the first time i was on a tour bus was uh we were on tour with another band from texas and we got to go up on there and we thought it was literally the coolest thing ever you know and now you kind of walk on and you're like, oh shit, well, I'm going to be in here a lot over the next two weeks. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, yeah, I, I totally get it that people think it's cool. You know, so when pe- friends of mine bring their kids or, the, or whatever, you know, I'm always like, let's give them the full treatment, you know, and so you take them and show them the, you know, all of the stuff on the bus and, you know, and, and that's cool. You know, hey, that's where I sleep and, you know, that's Chris's stinky bunk. Don't go in there and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Christopher John Hooley asks probably a controversial question what is your favorite English food that you wish they did well in America <laughs> oh, I see where you where you're going with that um <laughs> wow that's let me think about that for a second um well first of all what's his name again Christopher John Hooley. Christopher John uh I will tell you this right now the quality of your meats are better at least in the cheaper, I've never been to like a, a like a proper like fucking steakhouse there. I would venture to guess that our steakhouses here are way better, but um, it's just because that's a whole way of life here. Um, but I will say like your KFC, for example, has like way better chicken than our KFC. Like we would never even, I mean, KFC would never even enter our minds to eat at here ever. Like we, we just never. And we eat a lot of that shit over there. So just the quality of the chicken is better. Um, just as far as a dish as a whole, I can't really think of anything <laughs> that, that we that I don't like better over here. Um, but I think it's what you're used to. You know, like I, I, I have English friends that come over and they're like, Jesus Christ, there's just too much going on. There's too much flavor, you know, and and. You know, for us, whereas, you know, it, it might just be that, like, oh, my God, there's no salt and there's no there's no flavor to this. And so, you know, I think it's just a matter of what you're used to and, you know, what you're uh, what you like. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. You guys do these fucking jam donuts at Sansbury's that are fucking crazy. But I'm glad we don't have those here because I don't need them. I don't need them shits. <laughs> Rhiannon Houston Smith asks, "Are there any songs you just really get sick of playing over and over?" No, I mean it's happened before. Where um, I mentioned Scope earlier, um, that was kind of my one where I was just like, "Guys, I don't want to play this anymore." And we didn't play it for a really long time. Uh, we brought it back a couple of tours ago, and it was fun to revisit it. And then uh, Gary and Eric didn't want to play Emily, so we didn't play Emily for three or four years. I think it was. Uh, maybe not that long. That seems like a that seems crazy. So two or three years, but um, really, for the most part, you don't. I mean, because we do change it up quite a bit. I mean, you know, th- look, there's the certain songs that you're gonna play. Um, if you come hear us at a normal show, you're gonna hear almost in 1985 and "Girl the Bad Guys Want" and "High School Never Ends." I mean, you know, and most of the time, Ohio. Those are gonna happen. Um, 
but we don't get sick of hearing those or playing those because those are the songs that people like, you know, and it's just the reaction to people and people singing along and shit, you know. Um, we're definitely not one of those bands that hates our hits. I think I like our hits. I think they're fucking awesome to have. And I'm glad we have them. So um, not really, not really anything that I would say I'm, I'm sick of playing. Just so you know, you um, spinning around on that chair is being picked up super loud by the mic. Oh, sorry about that. Shit, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> it's okay. That's me uh, fidgeting. Yeah, getting impatient. Um, I'm not impatient. <laughs> I'm doing fine. My fucking tongue hurts, but I'm good. Well, anytime you want to stop, you just let no, me know. No, I want to fucking like finish this, Daniel. <clears throat> okay. Chris Holt says... Now you have the ability to hire a tour bus, which I imagine makes things so much easier on tour. Do you miss touring in a van and having those adventures, or is the bus just the same on a larger scale? It's definitely not the same. Um, the, the van was great. Don't get me wrong. It was a lot of fun. But nine years in that motherfucker, and you, you, we thank our lucky stars. Uh, it's fun to get in the van for two or three days, go and do something. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's that's cool it's just not like it used to be because now that everybody has you know like i said ipods on their fucking phones and shit you, you everybody's just in their phone the whole time so like it used to be to where it's like whoever drove was in charge of the music uh but the passenger was the dj passenger wasn't wasn't allowed to sleep um so it was a two-man shift all the time and then most of the people in the, and then everybody else was listening to what you were listening to, you know, and you're all kind of taking turns picking shit and all that. And, um, so when we're in the van for just a little bit, we, nobody puts on headphones or anything if, or if it's just a few days and, and we, uh, we take turns picking shit in the iPod and, um, and all that stuff. So, um, and you know, it, it is nice to have a hotel room. That's the, that's the thing is I don't think people really understand once you're on a bus, you're also giving up your hotel room. So, you know, you're you're gambling on showers and, and you know, they're the, and really just you can't take a shit on the bus, so you're gambling on that too. And sometimes that is a hell of a roll of the dice. But uh, you know, I mean there's there's good things about both. Man, we had amazing times in the van. I mean, literally I probably the if you know, it's hard to rewind that far, but that was probably the best time of my life was just getting to the point where we didn't have to be in the van anymore. Um, not to say that it's not awesome now, but, you know, it was fucking 24 hours a day. You're just, everybody's together and alert and just starting shit and trying to pass the time and throwing donuts out the fucking window at truckers. And, you know, it's just great. It was so much fun. So, um... I miss it sometimes. I wouldn't trade it, though, just because um, it's uh, it sucks driving. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for, you know, six months. You know, because back then we would leave and not come home for six months. And Jesus Christ, I can't imagine that now, you know, even on a bus. What I will say primarily about the tour bus is that you have the lounge area downstairs and then you have a lounge area upstairs so you can have like one room where there's a, a party and one room where you know someone's kicking back watching a film and that's you know that to have those two environments must be so much different than all being within a shot of each other all the time mm -hmm. all having to make conversation 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, and in America, it's a little bit different. Where our our buses here are single single decker, so there's one big lounge in the front, and then the the bunks are in the middle, and there's a small lounge in the back. Well, that small lounge we call Chris's apartment. That's where he and the dogs stay. Um, but you can always go back there and watch whatever he's wanting to watch or play a video game or whatever. But, you know, really the only escape is in your bunk. Uh, but you're right. It is nice. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I didn't even know that you guys were having movie night up there in the top, top floor. Uh, you know, and that we had that same bus on my solo tour and nobody ever fucking went in that (laughs) back except to change clothes. You know, like we never, nobody ever even set foot in there. It's like, the the best thing, the best thing about Jarrett's solo tour was that, so the way, the way the route, the, the routing works is that the bus driver will sleep during the day because he drives us to the next venue overnight. But sometimes there'll be a period where we'll get on the bus after the show and we'll be drinking, you know, having a laugh or whatever. But the driver doesn't have to wake up yet. And if we're being too loud, coach would either bang on the door or he would put a little sign over the door that says, like, please be quiet, the, the bus driver is asleep behind here. And every single night we got on the bus... <laughs> And got drunk and yelled and fucking caused havoc the entire <laughs> night, every night. And then on the very last night of the tour, for some reason, everyone went, oh, coach is trying to sleep. Let's go to the back lounge. <laughs> yeah. So, and then so I, it was like, we could have been doing this the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, back, the back lounge is, is plenty of space for that tour, but... Of nine days, there was one day where we went, ah, we're probably being too loud for coach. Let's go. Upstairs. You know why it is? It's the same way. I don't know if it's like that in in the UK, but the way that it is here, you can set up for a party. You can put, you can decorate all the different rooms, blah, blah, blah. But everybody congregates in the fucking kitchen always. And I think yeah. that's the same with a tour bus. You you congregate where the refrigerator is, where the ice is, where the sink is, where the toilet is. You know, like it's it's everything's right here. Why do I need to have to fucking go? Because it's like, you know, you're pouring a drink every fifteen to thirty minutes, right? So you know, it's it's a pain in the ass. But you know, yeah. I mean, I feel bad. The the lesson that we learned with coaches is, is that we he'll take a bunk. And go up there and sleep now. So we we uh, but we didn't we didn't we didn't get in trouble once on this last tour. I don't think so. That's good. No, no, no. We we, we fucking did it. We thought. fucking did it. Uh, Sam Parker asks: Is there anywhere you've never toured that you would love to? Brazil uh, is kind of the last frontier for. Uh, oh, and Scandinavia. Um, those are the two places where I I know we have a following. I know the shows will be awesome. It's like I said earlier, it's just, it's not easy finding the remote, the, the right promoter. I mean, you can, you can go out there and take a chance, but you know, you can end up in some pretty shitty situations. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fucking different world these days. You got to know that you're at least safe, you know, for one thing that you got a place to sleep, that you're actually going to get to play the show, you know? So I just, I just want to interrupt you briefly so I can get these two questions in because they're they're very much on the same path. Okay. Um, so Sam Webb asks, when can I see you in Oxford again? I used to love when you play there on the acoustic tour. And Lucas Zapparoli asks, how much you decided by you guys where you're going? Let's say you wanted to play Kazakhstan. How would you work that out? Do you contact the promoters who should be interested in you guys? 
Yeah, that, so yes, we, that does happen, but pretty much now, as I was saying, we're not really in it to, like, experience a lot of new shit, unless it just comes our way, so now it's more promoters, you know, finding us, I mean, this, we're lucky enough, this South African thing, this guy caught me literally going to the restroom at Warp Tour, and brought up the conversation, and he's, like, worked super hard to make this happen, and, and it's happening, um, so yeah, I mean, we could just cold call some promoter in Brazil, but again, it just, there's a lot of shit that goes into it. There's so much planning. You're moving, you know, 10 human beings plus all of our equipment, you know, and putting them into a completely different, you know, world, so to speak. So, uh, and then Oxford, man, I miss that place. I mean, we had some great times there. I love the fact that the, that the floor bounces and shit. Um, great venue, good times, uh, hotter than shit on a full band tour though. Holy fuck. Um, and, uh, but yeah, uh, but, but back to the original question, uh, Brazil, I hope it happens. Scandinavia, I know will kill. Um, so I hope that does happen too. And, um, you know, those are kind of like the last places that we even really talk about. I mean, we've played a lot of different fucking places. So, you know, hopefully, uh, those will happen someday. Amber Barker asks, what is your favorite venue? And why? And I guess that's different than favorite city, or maybe different. Yeah, the man. I'll tell you, um, God's honest truth. I don't think any band plays there and doesn't think the same thing. But the greatest venue in the world is the Bomb Factory right here in Dallas, Texas. It was uh, it was an old venue back in the day. It's where Soundgarden and Pearl Jam came through on their first tour through here. Um, but it closed down it got bought up and redone and it is it's the it's the most fantastic venue for fans for um just music lovers for um drinkers non-drinkers bands it's just amazing it's it's the coolest fucking venue in the world if you ever get a chance to go to the bomb factory you gotta go Paul Cooper asks, would you ever consider being Green Day's support act on a future tour? And do you have a wish list of other artists you'd like to tour with? And is there anything us fans can do to make those tours happen? Green Day, for sure. Um, we know that they like us. Obviously, we like them. Um, we were up for the tour that they did in the UK last July. But they ended up taking Rancid because I think the theme of it their theme was more like, uh, I can't remember what they called it, but it was like something like punk rock or death or everybody needs to die or some shit. And uh, <laughs> we're too fucking funny for that. <laughs> and so I think they were going with somebody a little bit less lighthearted, so they went uh, old school punk rock, which I get it. You know, like, I'm, I mean, dude, I'm the last person to, to think that we're the perfect band for everything. So, you know, whatever. But... um you know, I mean, I, I would love for that to happen. I think that would be great. And, um, you know, that's definitely at the top of my wish list. I mean, I, you know, selfishly, there's bands that I'd love to tour with, obviously. You know, I'm going to say Frank Turner. I'd love to tour with him just so that I could see him every night. And, uh, you know, I think that'd be amazing and, and, and actually a really, really cool tour. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, I don't know. We've toured with a lot of different people, you know, but... I don't know that I'd really want to support anybody else that I can think of. I mean, I, you know, you, because it's like, you know, like, for example, it's like, it'd be fun to play with Weezer, but like Weezer fans don't give a shit about anybody. 
And I don't want to put myself in a situation where everybody's going to hate us, even though I know we'll win them over, you know? So everybody was like, when we did the Steel Panther thing, they're like, man, that crowd's going to eat you up. I'm like, bullshit. Nobody eats us up. We're going to go out there and fucking rock. And they're going to love us. And they did. Yeah, I suppose the toughest, th the toughest thing with that is when you approach a tour like that, if you were going to be the headliner, if you were going to be the support. Because if you're going to be the support on a tour, that's very much different than if you're going to headline a show. Definitely. And, you know, I mean, it, Frank Turner specifically, you know, I just saw him uh, last year, two years ago, I think, on uh, Blink-182's tour. And, you know, he would definitely be a, an appropriate size support for you guys. You know, that would work. I think he's bigger than us over there, though. He's definitely... I don't... I don't know. Based on the venues he's playing on this latest tour that he's doing, I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I don't know. It'd be I, awesome. But you're right. It's like if we're getting a 30-minute support slot, we're coming out there and guns are blazing. It's like all hits, couple of jokes, good night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christopher John Hooley asks, how many Weatherspoons did you visit in this tour? One. I only did one. I, my shit got fucked up, and then I, I, I didn't realize that they only served the breakfast wrap before noon. And then uh, and I almost missed it the first day and uh, that I went. So I went in uh, Nottingham, and that's the only time I hit a Weatherspoons. But, you know, I, some reason I just think it's easier to do on my, on my solo tour because load-in is way later, and so it's like there's people around to go with, but, like, I woke up to go, and it was, like, kind of hard to round people up, but, but I made it. I made it to one. Um, I just want to point out that you said Nottingham there in a British accent, yeah. but you pronounced it like an American. Oh, shit. So you said Sorry. Nottingham. 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 What is it? Nottingham. 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 Yeah, we played <laughs> Nottingham. <laughs> Just quickly, my favorite favorite moment of the Drunk Enough to Dance tour was one night when uh, Jarrett was ringing an Uber for Lucy Murray and <laughs> rang this driver and did the entire call in a fake British accent. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then when he hung up the phone, we're all just like, well, that guy definitely thought that was a prank. He's never coming back. <laughs> no <way. laughs> Uh, well, he wasn't from the UK either, so maybe he didn't know. Maybe. that's yeah. That was the justification that you used anyway. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, Paul Cooper asks, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened on any UK tour? Mm. Uh, well, I mean, that'd have to be Leeds 2003, the, uh, the great... Uh, <sighs> The great refrigerator over the balcony, uh, dressing room trashing with simple plan. Uh, we got a letter saying there was feces on the wall. We didn't shit on the wall. Um, yes. That turned into a spit fight between our drum tech and Chris Burney, which ended up with him with a candy bar up his ass, waking up in a uh, pool of puke and pee. And uh, it was quite a night. Funniest night maybe of my life. Uh, this next question turned into quite a conversation on the fan page. Joy Hollinshead asks, who does the worst farts? Uh, Eric's farts are so bad, and they're always silent. Actually, Eric didn't fart for years. Like, we just thought that the guy didn't fart. 
Um, now, listen, everybody's farts stink, farts stink, that's a thing. You know, and all of us have really bad ones sometimes. But Eric's farts are fucking deadly. And I mean, like, bad, bad farts. So, um, in fact, one time he farted on the bus, and our tour manager came up on the bus, and he... Uh, <laughs> He, he smelled it and turned right back around to go outside and puke. So I grabbed the camera and I started videotaping it. <laughs> and as he's puking or whatever, it made me puke. So then there's just both of us going bah! like out by the bus <laughs> and, and uh, all from one fart. I will just say quickly, we, we're so almost done. Um, the reason this turned into a big conversation on the fan page was because everyone wanted to know in Brixton, uh, on the stage it, did they ever figure out what that smell was and it's funny because uh, this may or may not may not make the DVD I'm not sure but you, at one point during that show you turn around and you're like someone over here because obviously there were 60 people on the stage that night so yeah. about 30 either side you point to a group of about 30 people and you're like someone over here has farted and right as you said that Timmy took out his in-ear monitor and leaned into me and said, someone has shit their pants. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're on the other side of the stage. And then we we kind of figured out at the end of the night, like on the bus afterwards, that the smell was actually the the different kind of pyro that we were using that night ah, that we hadn't used any other night. So it was the like spark wall things. I yeah. think that's what that was. It was like a sulfur smell. And I, so no one is to blame. Right. So of those, of those 60 people, right. nobody needs to panic. Everything's fine. You can tell when a band member farts on stage though, because it usually won't turn into a bit. It actually, so the fart thing happens sometimes. And like, if, if somebody's farting, and somebody smells it, it's it's probably going to come up. But normally if a band member farts, it happens between a song, and you'll just, you'll see somebody's face crunch up and, like, look around, and then you'll just see a head nodding with a smile, like, that was me. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then if it gets really, really bad, then sometimes it'll, it'll turn into a bit. But not always. Some, a lot of times it's just like, dude, are you all right? You know, did you shit your pants kind of thing. If I remember rightly, the live and very attractive DVD ends with you saying somebody has farted on the stage <laughs> and Bernie saying, it wasn't me, I think it was you. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, you there's a theme. You never know. But he, we both are very, very guilty of the onstage farting. And uh, <laughs> that's, that is definitely, you know, again, there's no warning. You can't hear anything up there. So it's just uh, every man for himself. Paul Cooper asks, have any specific incidents on tour inspired you to write a track? And if so, what happened and what track was that? Um, a bunch. The first one, I guess, was a song called Milo. Um, it's where our, our merch guy decided that he was going to pick up some some girl that was working at the bar. But, but Eric found interest in her and he got so drunk he got kicked out and... We hadn't even fucking gotten paid yet, and it was just this whole fucking night. So that's like the first one that where it was just like, okay, this this is a song about this night. Um, and and so yeah, there's been a few things happen from for, you know from then on, but that that's definitely the first and most significant. Like this is a specific night that happened to us on the road. A song called Milo. Christopher John Julias. Will the next tour be a beachwear special? And I don't know what that means, so I'm hoping you do. I'm just going to go no. 
because I don't know what that is. No, okay. no I'm sorry, good, Christ- good, sorry good. Christopher. Good stuff. Uh, Paul Cooper asks, many years ago, I recall you doing an acoustic set at someone's house. You invited a few fans. Would you ever do this again? Absolutely. I want to do a house party tour over there again at some point. So um, I don't know the logistics of, of how that would work this day and age. Um, obviously, my focus is more on just like the uh, putting on a show like Heartache and Hilarity was last year. I like that format, and I like to be able to um, to kind of like express a different side of my own self. Um but that doesn't mean that in the future I won't want to do the house party thing or at least in between shows and stuff like that. I, I had a blast doing that, and hopefully we'll do it again. Grant Hill asks, what's the meaning behind the numbers in your signatures? Can't tell you. Um, if you guess, we'll tell you what it is. But uh, it's, a, uh, it's something that we that – it's our inside joke. We, uh, we keep that to ourselves, and few people know about it. Most of the time, if, we, if you're in front of us, you'll, you'll be able to guess it just based upon our description of it, but, uh, but I'm not going to go into that here. Philip Threlfall asks, what's the weirdest place or thing you've been asked to sign? Uh, we've signed a car before, a brand new Corvette. Um, you know, you obviously get asked to sign all body parts. We stopped doing, you know, one time, one stinky guy ass, and you'll stop doing that. We don't do guy boobs anymore. Uh, anything that's, you know, where some guy's being a douchebag or whatever, and he's the only one that thinks it's funny, we don't do that. Um, but, you know, we've signed food, you know, um, driver's licenses, like, yeah, we've signed passports, you know, um, a lot of different shit. But uh, I, I don't know why the car sticks out at, at me. Because, I mean, we literally signed the fucking hood of a car once. And it was like a nice, like, Corvette. So, a um, bunch of different shit like that. Where you say there, uh, if some guy's being a dick and he's the only person who finds it funny. Um, I was at a show in Manchester years ago now. And uh, some guy asked Chris to sign his face. And so, Chris drew a cock on his face right. in Sharpie. And that guy had to go to school the next day. <laughs> but he, he thought it was hilarious at the time, yeah. but you know, tomorrow he probably did not think that was funny. Do you know why we normally don't sign faces? This is God's honest truth, I'm, and I'm not kidding. Uh, because the oil on the face will fuck up the Sharpie and it won't work anymore. <laughs> and a lot of times if we're carrying a Sharpie around, it's the only one we have. So <laughs> if somebody's like, well, you sign my forehead and, and I'm looking at them or whatever and they're sweaty at all, I'm like, sorry, dude, I can't do it. You fuck up my Sharpie. The, the biggest and most common crime on tour is that you would steal a Sharpie because yeah. Sharpies just go missing at all times, all times. from yeah. from anywhere, anyone's yeah. pocket in any <laughs> any situation. They're 100%. just missing Sharpies. Absolutely. The very last question, and I was trying to avoid asking this because I assume you won't even remember what this is in reference to. Barry Ferguson asks, when can we expect to see more of Evil Chris? Oh, my God. Evil Chris was the greatest. I loved that bit so much. It's the only time we have ever done that. It was so funny. Uh, You know, it's one of those things where Chris is such an interesting character, and he he doesn't always sell everything as though it's comedic. So I was just sitting there hoping that everybody thought it was as funny as I did because I was dying laughing. But, you know, when sometimes when Chris Bernie says, you know, it's like the difference between me saying something and Eric saying something. We can both say the exact same thing to the same audience 
And when he says it, he frightens them. When I say it, they all laugh, you know? So you just hope Chris winds up in the middle of all that somewhere. But Evil Chris was so fucking great. And, uh, man, that was a great night. Hopefully uh, that does become a reoccurring bit. (laughs) And uh, maybe we'll make a video series out of that. But that was great fun. So the reason I avoided asking that question is because Jarrett has a history of... Yes. Anything he says during a show or... Mm -hmm. If he just makes a joke one time, mm-hmm. he's he's never ever gonna remember that again. No. Because you know you do what I mean. Nowadays it's only nine shows on a tour, but you know even even three years ago it was twenty shows on a tour, yeah. and you're doing that every year and probably twice a year in most circumstances. You, chances are you're not gonna remember something that you said four years ago on one night in one no, place. It, like, it, Daniel, it happens to me on Jarrett Goes to the Movies. Like, I, you know, I'm in here. My job on the thing is to watch the movie, make my notes, and just sit here and, like, riff on shit that people say or on the movie. So, like, most of the time when I say something, it's right off the top of my head, and I've already started thinking about the next thing that I'm going to say. So, they like, bits come up, and I won't remember it from the – and I don't – and it's not a drunken thing. And and anybody who knows me will attest to this. Like, I don't go on stage – fucking just shit face it's not like i come off stage fucking shit face so like um and it's the same with the podcast too so it's like um (laughs) i just don't i just i don't i don't most of the time i'm just talking out of my ass i'm just saying the first thing that comes to my mind and moving on to the next thing so uh but a lot but i do remember bits like that it if and if chris makes me laugh i'm not faking um, I, I won't like really like make a bit out of something just to like try to make it something. So that actually made me fucking laugh. And, uh, that was a good one. Oh man. Evil Chris. Uh, I think, uh, another little behind the scenes thing, uh, on the, on the bus pretty much every night because Jarrett riffs everything that he says in most circumstances, there's a lot of times when he thinks like, ah, oh, this is going to be the best bit ever. And then <laughs> someone, someone will like interrupt or whatever and ruin, ruin his flow. And it, everything will just stop being funny. And at, at least once on this latest tour in February, it, he got me, he was like, he was like, Daniel, film this. <laughs> so I get, I get my phone out and I'm filming just some, you know, the most random shit, like, fucking people eating donuts or whatever and he's like this is gonna be hilarious and then Edo's just talking really loud in the background <laughs> yeah, just, and just fucking it all up like fuck this forget it cut, cut. <laughs> <laughs> this was the worst bit ever yeah yeah it does usually you can't i mean if the camera's rolling it's fine if, usually once you have to say hey turn the camera on it just all goes to shit and, and that's a fucking big thing anyway too because once the crew start drinking they could give a shit, you know, so, and especially Edo, he's in his own little world all the time, so, you know, but uh, I appreciate you trying to listen to me, that's for yeah. sure. Well, we did the best we could. Did the best we could. <laughs> this has been an extra long Get Happy 2018 tour special of the BFS Fan Page Rampage, and we're pretty much done. If you Google Daniel Cotton from Twitter, you can find my blog, and from that, you can find my Facebook, Twitter, everything. Uh, and Jared, do you have anything to plug? Well, go check out my podcast. If you haven't checked out Jared Goes to the Movies, just pick a movie that you like. Go watch it. I'd like to plug this squeaky chair. This is not my chair, uh, but I didn't have time to like get my shit set up. This is 
Sean, Silent Sean 316's chair from the podcast, and he's still all the time. So sorry for the squeaking. And uh, no, that's about it. Go uh, go follow me everywhere at J-A-R-E-T-2113, and we'll see everybody soon. Thanks, guys. Take care. It's the BFS Fan Page Rampage. The BFS Fan Page Rampage with J.